As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Instead of taking up that gym membership that you wouldn't use even if the gyms were open, how's about subscribing to The Athletic for just £4 a month as a New Year's resolution? You'll get unrivaled football coverage with analysis and in-depth features from the very best writers around, exclusive Q&As with Athletic staff and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts, including this one. Find out more and sign up today at theathletic.com slash totally. Totally Football Show. Today, Phil Foden and the champions folding as Alisson has his worst night at Anfield since that time with Roma. 4-1 City, is that it for the title? Also, all tied at Old Trafford, nine-man Newcastle against Saints and you don't have the authority, Mike Dean. Ref can't tell arse from elbow with Vars on elbow. We check out the Suchek controversy and so much more in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello there, listener. It's Monday the 8th of February. Thank you so much for joining us here on The Totally. Uh, we've got Michael Cox in, a.k.a. Zonal Marking. Hello, Michael. Hi, James. Daniel Story's with us too from the Eye on Football 365. Hi, James. Mr. Winners and Losers. Mm-hmm, indeed. Sasha Gurionov from Oco Sport. Sasha. Hi, James. Hi. Uh, Sasha, this season's title race wrapping up early as well, I see. Oh, it is. It's over. It's all over. Are you sure, Sasha? Because, I mean, I'm old enough to remember various other truths universally acknowledged that this season has provided over the last couple of months, like when Man United were definitely going to win the title and that time when Spurs beat Man City themselves. When was that? November. And then Spurs went top of the table and everyone was like, oh my God, Mourinho's a genius and he's going to win the title. Are you sure that this time around it's going to stick? Well, James, you very kindly didn't remind me of the time that Liverpool won 7-0 and I thought they were going to win the title. Uh, That was under two months ago and Liverpool have won two games since. But it feels uh, that um, the season was going to be won by a team that can put a run together and uh, Man City have just won 10 straight. Um, And to be honest, if they hadn't won 10 straight, if they maybe have drawn two or three of those games, they would be back in the pack. But um, them's, the, them's the differences, um, and it looks they've sorted out their defence. Um, they have a lot of players fit. They're operating very well, even without Kevin De Bruyne or really a striker, uh, by just playing loads of midfielders going forward, um, and the midfielder at left-back as well, if you like. 
Um, and they just uh, they picked up the points against the weaker sides. Actually, I looked at the games that they won over the last 10 games. So Liverpool have dropped a lot of points against those very same sides. And I think mm-hmm. that's, that's why we see City going clear at the top and Liverpool just plummeted down the table. Right, bullying the weaker teams, just like today at Anfield. We'll, we'll get on to the big game between uh, Liverpool and Man City in a second or two, just to quickly run you through the scores. Saturday, uh, Aston Villa beat Gunners 1-0. Burnley-Brighton finished 1-1. It was 3-2 and deja vu for Saints at Newcastle as they uh, lost again. Jan Benrek scored a known goal again, uh, but this time it was their opponents who went down to nine men. No goals, but in a Mike Dean red card controversy at Fulham West Ham and a thriller at Old Trafford. Everton 2-0 down at half-time, levelling 3-3 with the final kick of the game. Sunday, Kane was back for Spurs and on the score sheet again with Sun and a 2-0 win for Tottenham over West Brom. There were no goals at Molyneux for Wolves and Leicester. City were 4-1 winners at Anfield and Sheffield-Chelsea ended 2-1 to the Blues, which means City are five clear with the game in hand. Uh, Liverpool now fourth, only one point ahead of Chelsea and West Ham. And the bottom three who remain Fulham, West Brom and Sheffield United, are now eight adrift. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Big game Sunday was at Anfield, Liverpool, Man City. I think it'll get to that point with Foden eventually where he'll start to play in that David Silver role more central. Like Alan Partridge stepping on a spike, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my word. The magnificent commentary there of Martin Tyler and in particular, a Jamie Carragher. As City got on, on their way to a 4-1 victory, their first win at Anfield since 2003. Uh, Liverpool with three straight defeats there for the first time since 1963. And they now have 27 fewer points than they did at the same stage last season, which is the biggest drop by any reigning champion at this point of a campaign. In top flight history. Wow. All right, so uh, 4-1, and the second half in particular, a performance from City that had the whiff of history about it. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. Um, I think Guardiola got it right. Sometimes we we accuse him, understandably and fairly, I think, of kind of overthinking these big games. But by, by leaving Gabriel Jesus out and by playing those band of merry attacking midfielders, I think he really got into Fabinho's head. Fabinho's been great over the last few months at filling in, but I think he's been better when he's had a kind of focal point centre-forward that he can look after and almost do a man-marking job like he might do in, in central midfield, but not knowing who to pick up. There was that period in the in early in the second half where he kind of stuttered a bit, didn't know to track Foden, ended up tracking him, got done down the wing and picking up a yellow card for having no choice but to bring him down. And uh, I think that really, yeah, that kind of sold the game. Of course, Alisson's mistakes were important too. But mm. yeah, I think I think City were brilliant. And Phil Foden, you know, I've just written, it felt like a coronation for him. It really did. This felt like his breakout game of his breakout season. I also felt that uh, as the game went on, City figured out how to isolate uh, particularly Trent. Um, and the fact that when Fabinho came over to cover him, he wasn't, again, as Daniel mentioned, um, not a centre-back covering. Uh, so therefore, you know, he leaves the dangling leg to give away the penalty and um, really, you know, ex- exposed very superbly by City today. However, uh, I think given how the game progressed, um, I think we saw as well that, I mean, for me, the, the, the drop-off um, 
from Liverpool after halftime was sort of a surprising and not surprising because I thought they were actually fairly comfortable in the first half, had a couple of chances. But I think what we've seen this season, particularly uh, of late, is Liverpool um, seem to be unable to maintain this sort of psychological sharpness um, throughout the 90 minutes. They used to be able to do it before. They used to be kind of be able to build up pressure on teams until they cracked. And now they kind of just drift away. And I think Weirdly, we've started seeing it, I think, post-Christmas, you know, the one they drifted away against West West uh, Brom. And in the game since, I thought they um, kind of recovered it against Spurs and West Ham, but as last two games showed, maybe that good form was just a blip. And I think, you know, if you look at, um, I mean, you know, the centre-backs have been done to death and, um, you know, the fact that they got the two main central midfielders playing at centre-back. Um, however, chopping into all those changes have completely imploded their formation. And perhaps, you know, in, difficult, in a time like this, uh, when you might want to be able to you know, play according to your instinct, they can't because the players are on the wrong positions. Mm. Was it Liverpool switching off after halftime or was it the fact that a little bit as Guardiola commented afterwards that his team kind of switched on? Phil Foden started doing what Guardiola had asked him to do. Alisson kind of paved the way for them, or at least the combination of Alisson and and. Liverpool's makeshift back line kind of opened up the door for City and, and City just kind of kicked on. Yeah, I mean, Guardiola changed system at half-time, moved from rough 4-3-3 to more of a 4-4-2 without the ball. And I think that certainly helped stop uh, Alexander-Arnold's breaks down the right because, um, as Sasha says, I think he was very threatening uh, in the early stages. But I must I slightly disagree with Daniel because I didn't really understand what Guardiola was trying to do with his first half system. With I was surprised by the team he picked with the with the two fullbacks. I thought he was going to pick Laporte and be a lot more solid down that side. So, yeah, I think the the change of system really did did improve City. I think it was probably three things that, that swung the game. One was the change of system. Two was Allison, and the other thing was that Foden. I just thought was brilliant. I mean, he mm. he was filled in that central striker role. But I thought the most notable thing about him was he he did a bit of everything. You know, he he dropped deep from that position really well. There was one point where he barged Fabinho off the ball when they were contesting an aerial, which got given as a foul. But even then, you know, it's it's almost quite impressive that Foden can can foul Fabinho in the air. He also put in a great cross from the left. Uh, that just evaded Sterling. And then when he went to the right, he went down the wing to create the the second goal and then obviously scored a brilliant fourth goal. So, uh, you know, we all know Foden is a brilliant talent and has been very good this season, but I think we saw something something more than what we've seen before, just a real all-round attacking talent who can seemingly play in, in any attacking position. We have to remember, he, he's still only 20. He's younger than Jadon Sancho, who feels like the, the kind of hallmark of... Um, young English attacking exciting talent um, and fair play to Guardiola because I, I'm happy to admit that I, I I didn't think he should go out on loan but I did doubt whether he might get the regular minute you know six months ago I was wondering does he go to the Euros does he get enough minutes to go to the Euros now we're all thinking which position does Southgate start him in the first game because he really has kicked on that much and been allowed to kick on that much with the you know with the departure of David Silva and also compliments to Foden as well his presence of mind seizing on the um, sort of second Alisson error if you like for the first goal because he knew exactly where to go straight away and that he just needed to get down to the byline and get the ball across um, because Liverpool sh- uh, Liverpool were completely out of shape I mean and I don't think at that stage City were necessarily pressing the Alisson kicks but they certainly were two minutes later and Alisson went to pieces um, you know it's I, I looked at that and I, I think that is A, very atypical and B, I'm thinking maybe there's still after effects of the illness because the, the, those part, like the decision-making in those moments um, was so astonishingly catastrophic uh, that 
A, Liverpool couldn't come back after that, and um, B, it'd be interesting to find out exactly what was wrong with him because that's, that was really bad. Klopp mentioned the temperature as well, which I know Roy Keane wasn't having any of, but it was really cold. And when you're a keeper, Sash, you don't get the chance to keep warm the way the others do. That is true, but he hasn't done anything this bad before. I like this, right. this, 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 this was outstandingly atrocious by him. Unsung Hero uh, was curious about whether other teams are now putting pressure on the way Liverpool play out from the back and maybe that's what City were trying to do a little bit and also whether his uh, lack of confidence or his, his, his errors were because of the, the fact that it's two unnatural centre-halves playing in, in front of him. I, I, don't, I don't... The thing that really surprised me with Alisson and Klopp actually mentioned it after the game, he kind of said, sort of brushing it aside with a joke as he tends to do, he sort of said, he was asked what he told Alisson, he said, well, the stands are there, you can use them if you want. As in to say, after the first error, to then get it to feet, right. having already made another sort of half error, to then again try and play it so short and get it so badly wrong. I know teams believe in the process and Klopp is one of those managers, but I'm so surprised he didn't just knock that a little bit longer to kind of make himself feel better more than anything else. Yeah, equally his teammates might have not passed it straight back to him like two minutes after Maybe. he didn't. I, I just want to say on City, the, the one thing I thought was really impressive, and I know Michael wrote about this lot a lot when they, they were winning their titles, is they scored, I think, probably scored all four of their goals from six yards or less today, which was the hallmark of City's attacking unit in full flow. And I know this has been kind of founded on the defence, this re-rise, but that to me was the ominous sign for everyone else. The fact that Sterling and Gundogan and Foden were getting so close to goal and being happy to pass six, you know, that Sterling pass to Foden was seven yards from goal with three Liverpool players around him. That's the ominous sign for everyone else because that's the sign of City and rude health. Yeah, I completely agree with Daniel in part because he was agreeing with me. Um, <laughs> but he scored, um, I mean, if you go back to the Burnley game in midweek, uh, Gabriel Jesus was... His goal was an open goal, really, albeit a rebound. And the second one was just a classic Sterling tap-in from four or five yards. I've lost count of how many goals he scored like that. So, yeah, they are putting a lot of chances on a plate. Um, and I think when they're at their best, they do that better, probably better than any team I've ever seen. Wow. 14 straight wins, 10 straight in the Premier League, five points clear with a game in hand now. As for Liverpool, how bad might it get? Andy Jennings asked, was the price Liverpool have to pay for winning the title... The fact that the very next season they missed the top four by finishing below their city rivals, their fiercest rivals, their modern rivals and their former manager. Woof, speaking of which, they're at Leicester next weekend. What do you think, Sash? A lot of people talking about top four and it's in doubt. I, I think it's worth refocusing, uh, you know, getting the title clear out of your mind and refocusing on the top four. Um, I think, you know, the battle for top four at the moment is such a mess because, you know, a couple of wins and completely changes. But Liverpool, I mean, they have... A, almost a week now until the next game, they go to Leicester. And if anything, what they, they do this season is they win in cities beginning with L. They've only won in Liverpool and in London so far in the league. Um, but I think, I thought they might have used Christmas um, to kind of recover and recoup because they had, they had eight days off and then they fell apart. So I think now it's almost, you could see that uh, there is, a, I think, a lot of psychological fatigue uh, in what they're doing. Um, so I, I think they need to basically psychologically rebuild themselves. Plus, of course, uh, they need to do something about those centre-backs because even though, say, for example, against Spurs and West Ham, I went to those games, Jordan Henderson was really, really impressive at centre-back. 
um, the, the games like today and games like I don't like like Brighton, then you can see how he's really missing it from that midfield. Again, I yeah. think we saw we saw a thing like that happen in the City last season when Fernandinho was suddenly playing centre back. I mean, in Liverpool's case, at the moment, there's two midfielders playing centre back, so yeah. it's it's completely disbalanced. I think it also feels like very unfair on. Um, Tiago Alcantara, uh, because I think he's coming into a midfield um, with also fullbacks out of form that he didn't really expect to play in, in, in like like this. So I think also with him over the last few games, you kind of see the zip, the zest, the class kind of that you like you know like the old cliche of oozing class when he gets on the pitch. It's kind of kind of evaporated um, to the extent that now he's almost not that unrecognizable, but he certainly just doesn't influence the games as, as he was supposed to. Right. I mean, there's been a lot of question marks about his impact on the team and on their results and how well he fits in. Uh, Football 365 describing him as a Guardiola player in a Klopp team, uh, which I, I don't know how you would react to that. Michael's not having any of that. <laughs> <laughs> I did want to ask a broader point, though. This group's been together quite a long time now, and I think everyone would imagine that they'll need to freshen it up a bit, bring in some fresh blood, some mental fresh, freshness as well. To what extent uh, have their plans for rebuilding the team been completely scuppered or severely compromised by the kind of global situation with coronavirus and the fact that nobody's going to pay them big bucks for the likes of Mane and Salah? Well, I mean, I, we don't know that anyone won't pay them big bucks for those. I think, to my mind, this whole Liverpool Right, well, re-rise to prominence started when they sold Philip Coutinho, when um, mm. it enabled Klopp to do that. It enabled him to rebuild um, because th- they got a ludicrous amount of money from a La Liga club. Yes, which I, I mean, the assumption was that they'll probably try and do that again, or probably be happy to accept that again for one of those uh, players up front. Yeah, but I don't think they need as big a rebuild as they did at that point. Um, I think right. I do believe it's psychological more than anything. Klopp has always excelled as a as a pursuit manager, as a chasing manager, and for three years, Liverpool had that carrot of, you know, trying to get back into the elite, which they did by reaching the Champions League final, then trying to atone for it, then trying to atone for finishing second in the Premier League. And and it is a completely different business. Even when he, he even at his best at Dortmund, they were always chasing Bayern Munich. So he always had that chase. And I think the, the key question is whether he feels that um, it's going to take another two, three years to rebuild or whether what happens at Dortmund, which is that all went a little bit stale quicker than everyone expected. Mm. Or knowing this season, it could just be a couple of months. After all, it wasn't long ago at City with the, the burnouts who were needing a total refresh. Sorry, Michael. Just one quick point about the defence. I know they conceded four goals here, but it was two really big goalkeeping errors and they were up against the best team in the league. They haven't conceded more than one goal in the league since October the 17th. So I understand that the lack of defenders is affecting them, I think, probably more on the ball than off the ball. Right. But they're not actually conceding many goals. I mean, they, they conceded seven goals in a game when they had their first choice centre-backs available. So I, I think people are being a little bit concentrating too much upon this uh, this game when they're talking about the lack of centre-backs. I think in general, they've defensively, they've been all right. But, but the issue with the centre-backs, I might be missing the point here, is the fact that Yes, they are managing to cover at the back by using their midfielders, but it's what it just does to everything else that they do by losing those those talents in midfield. Sure, uh, I, I get that, but uh, I'm not really sure what the solution is. I mean, Van Dijk will be coming back. Uh, Gomez will be coming back. I, I, they they couldn't go out and sign a world class centre back, in my opinion, because then the, you know it's just not the right allocation of resources. I just think they've been a little bit unfortunate. Their centre backs have been out injured, and I think they've coped as best as they can. 
Mm. Personally, I put their their poor form down to what Sasha said. I think they're probably just a little bit mentally fatigued. But uh, yeah, I think their defensive record in general has been pretty good. And I, I don't think we should forget that. I think also what I would add, I think uh, one person one person who could make a difference in the coming weeks is Jota, because I thought Jota was the guy for the future. Um, I didn't think he was going to feature as importantly as he did this season. It turned out he was fair, he was pretty key. So I think him returning will allow... I mean, he, he basically, I think when he plays, he moves in a slightly different way to the others. I think also he hasn't been studied by the opposition as much. So therefore, those defensive teams that Liverpool come up against, they don't quite know how to look after him. So he catches them by surprise. So I think his return and then him staying fit until the end of the season, I think would actually be very important. All right. City, though, uh, the big question, who's going to take penalties going forward? Uh, Pep Guardiola once again considering Edison for spot kick duties. When I commented six months ago, it was a joke, said Pep. Now it's a half joke. We really don't have a specialist in this area. Remarkable. No, I, yeah, I mean, he it was it was it was actually last January that he first said it, and actually it didn't he he didn't really say it as a joke. He might have meant it as one, but he was deadly serious when he said that Edison was their best penalty taker. Um, and yeah, I mean, he 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 praised Kevin De Bruyne and he praised Okai Gundogan's penalties, but they both missed the target against Liverpool this season. Um, the Gundogan penalty was bizarre. I think he got spooked a little bit by Allison guessing the right way and kind of which kind of meant he lifted it higher than he wanted, kind of afraid of hitting Alisson. But it was a dreadful penalty, but it was. Right. Gundogan tweeting, after the game, three points for a field goal, Super Bowl tonight, or something <laughs> along those lines. Or at least Man City's social media department. Uh, anyway, now, uh, up next, with City in action midweek at Swansea and uh, Liverpool not in action midweek, but watching at home. Uh, we'll move on to the barnstorming Saturday night spectacular at Old Trafford uh, between Everton and Man United. Now, sir, remember, a tattoo is permanent, so tell me one more time what you want. Uh, well, I want Bruno Fernandes knocking a liver bird off its perch with a free kick, with Ollie as a kind of, like, god in the sky. Oh, and Champions 2021 on top as well. I can't see anything going wrong there, Man United fan. But if things don't go exactly as expected, Paddy Power's Acker Insurance gets you a free bet if one leg of your 4 plus fold Acker lets you down. Paddy Power! Max free bet £10, min odds 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive, excludes shop bets, excludes enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply, 18 plus, begamalaware.org. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. This just in from our 2 0 is a dangerous scoreline department. Man United 2 0 up at half time in their clash Saturday against Everton, pegged back at the death by the Toffees. Woof! What a game this was. Drama, great goals, that final twist. Michael, did you enjoy it? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was a weird game. It was, it was great drama. And yet I spent the vast majority of the game thinking, this is dead, this is over. You know, the, 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 this game isn't really live. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I have no idea how Everton got 
a point from this. They played well for about five minutes of the second half and that was it. Awful before halftime, just technically so bad. James Rodriguez, I thought, looked unfit. Um, and then I found Manchester United strange as well because, I mean, Manchester United is strange in so many ways, but the way I find them most strange is that they're a, they're a side who specialise on the counter-attack, which we know. And so usually sides like that, um, they're quite good when they're leading games because the opposition come onto them and then they can break in behind and they struggle a little bit before that. But they're the opposite. I mean, Manchester United keep on going behind and then coming back, which isn't a, a usual quality of a counter-attacking side. And here they were leading for the majority of it and I didn't think created that much at all. Um, hmm. I mean, it was it was one of those games that was hugely entertaining, I thought, really because of both sides' inadequacies, um, albeit there were two moments of brilliance for Manchester United in the first half for the for the two goals. I mean, the cross, the Rashford cross was superb for Cavani. And then Fernandez, maybe that is one of the goals of the season. Mm. Um, but yeah, a very strange game. It was the, the game, of all the games I've, I've seen recently, it was the one where I thought, yeah, a lot of these players are really, really tired. Fernandez lets it run to Aaron Wan-Bissaka and then gets it back. Fernandez goes for goal! Oh. And what about that? That is spectacular! What was the Fernandez goal like? The Cantona effort or not? I, <laughs> I think I think if they just that. if they have just recorded just the shot. finish, yeah, yeah, if they just recorded the finish and then right. the kind of sort of deliberately muted celebration of kind of look around what I've done, maybe. But the build-up was absolutely, I mean, night and day different. So mm. no, it wasn't. Even the finish, right. I did, I'm not yeah, having I a, not having a drive being the same as a chip. <laughs> I, I, I don't get that at all. You don't have to relate everything back to something that happened in the 1990s. It's fine. Everton, just three shots in this game, but they scored with all three. And a lot of people suggesting this is why United are never going to win anything. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a slightly, I mean, that's a deliberately um, kind of extremist view of it. But it has a point in reality, which is that United haven't scored from open play against a big six side in 11 months which means that there will be more pressure on every other game they play against the rest um, because they they pretty much, to keep pace with City, have to win every other game. Uh, and so when they don't, you know, when they slip up against Sheffield United, when they should be Everton and don't, it will inevitably invite more pressure because of, you know, because of their reticence to attack against other teams, I think. It's also about it's also about the goalkeeping because I think uh, Solskjaer is perhaps beginning to lose his patience in the post-match interview. He says... Can't concede a goal every time there is a shot between the posts. I think that's a criticism of the hair, and I think it's about time they're actually making the, making the decision for Henderson because, again, the hair in this game obviously he gives the first goal away, and the way he comes out to block the uh, the third one for, against Calvert Lewin, he doesn't there's no attempt to clean out the player or to make himself big. If anything, he kind of hesitantly makes himself small, um, which suggest I, I don't know. I, th- I think that's very very problematic, and um, I. I like I've advocated for this earlier this season that Everton, uh, that sorry Manchester United need to make this decision, and I think they need to put Henderson in goal now. Or maybe we'll see him a midweek when Man United take a West Ham in the cup. It wasn't entirely his fault though. There was, I mean, Harry Maguire I think also contributes on that on that third goal, which was a, a pretty magnificent moment for any neutrals watching. Yeah, goalkeeper up as well, which is always good. Yeah, I mean Maguire was at part fault with two of the goals in that. 
Um, he he let Calvert Lewin run behind in behind for the first, and he he held the wrong line. He held the, well, held a different line to every other Manchester United defender for the third. But the second goal was the one I think that there's the kind of collective calamity. It reminded me of Sheffield United's winner in that the ball goes loose and it, it feels like Manchester United are playing a second behind everyone else because they just reacted so slowly and then somehow James Rodriguez despite Manchester United not rushing out to the ball, still left Hamas Rodriguez in five yards of space in the penalty area. That's kind of a hard one to work out. Mm. All right, Man United have West Ham in the Cup. Everton are up against Spurs. That West Ham game, quick mention for their trip to Craven Cottage, uh, which ended goalless, but uh, the the, uh, the red card for Thomas Suchek has uh, excited plenty of comment. Michael. Yeah, I, I thought that was crazy. I thought it was another example of if you watch something 30 times on slow motion, you read so much more into it than mm. if you watch it once at full speed. I I don't know. I felt... Um, Is it like when you say the word lorry 10 times in a row and it just loses the... <laughs> the noises stop making any sense? Is it a similar principle? Yeah, I guess so. I, I just felt... This one I just kind of laughed at because... <laughs> It was the 96th minute, and I think it was pretty much the last action of the game, and it was just like, you just have to despair of it. It'll be interesting to see what happens with the um, with the appeal, because mm. there have been a couple of instances where VAR have, you know, they've given a decision having watched a replay 30 times, and it still gets overturned when someone watches <laughs> it another 30 times. Is I, I thought that was dreadful, really, yeah. I think it's karma. When I went to West Ham Liverpool, I was waiting for him to come out to do his post-match flash interview, and he never did. And, you know, we went off air, and uh, I, th- I have been thinking bad thoughts about Tomas Suchek, even though I am generally a fan. But uh, Quite a delayed reaction, Sash, given that he yeah. scored six goals in his last... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it might not have been to snub you, Sash. No, I, I don't know what it was, but everyone else. Okay. But I, I, I took it really personally, and uh, I cycled all the way there. I cycled all the way back, and the only person I spoke to was Jurgen Klopp. Okay, that's not too bad. Huh? <laughs> yeah, wow. Not it's the only person state. I spoke to. <laughs> Anything else you want to add about Fulham nil, West Ham nil? I like Fulham. I re- I'm really big fan of Fulham. I think their play, okay. I, as I think that's ever since that one all draw with Liverpool, like I've really noticed how they've sort of changed up the system, and I, 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 I just think they're just terribly unlucky. They need to pick up a couple of wins. They've drawn, I think, since. Last 11, they've drawn eight, lost three. And those three defeats, they could possibly consider themselves unfortunate in two of them. And uh, it just feels like a couple of wins and they that that gap is opening up, I think, between mm. them and the, t- the teams above. So they have the danger of being sucked into that relegation zone and possibly losing their way. And I hope they don't because I think, I think I just, I, I enjoy watching them play. And I think I have a lot of admiration for Scott Parker and the way he learned through this season. He improved the team after the terrible early start. He just needs a couple of wins. Right, they they are in the relegation zone, Sash. Just yeah, oh, but up. they are. Very, yeah, I meant the the gap between the, between them and whatever the, the yeah, the, the it's, 17th. it's eight points yeah. now. Enjoy them while you can. That's my my thinking. Obviously, this this season nobody knows what what's going to happen. Uh, Everton, as I mentioned in the cup midweek, uh, have Spurs. Mourinho cares about the FA Cup. That's very much his brand. And Spurs welcome back Harry Kane as well, which means they're a football team again and demonstrated that against Mighty West Brom on Sunday. Thursday, though, they put in one of the worst performances I think we've seen from any team all season against Chelsea. Yeah, just a complete lack of any intent. And, you know, we're used to Mourinho setting up as a kind of risk-averse 
safety first but we're not used we're used to it forming part of a plan rather than just because it feels like nobody's bothered to tell them to work on a game plan which is what it looked like against Chelsea they were better against West Brom but West Brom defended pretty well for the first half actually but uh, they they allow so many shots that eventually you know they're not good enough to defend to keep it out um and Kane did look bright I'm I'm not surprised that Mourinho brought him back quickly I'm surprised that he he looked so sharp so Mm. quickly um, I mean, he missed a couple of chances in the first half, but he his interchange of play was actually, you know, what we might expect, which is is good for Spurs. But um, yeah, I mean, they're still. It, it, I don't think we can say it too strongly enough that they were only playing West Brom at home. Okay, and are you concerned at all about how quickly Kane has come back again? Uh, as an England fan, I am slightly concerned. <laughs> yeah, um, although it wasn't a muscle thing, was it? Which is I know a bit. Of- both yeah. of his ankles, mm. basically. I don't know. I mean, mm. they're quite delicate things. It doesn't seem like a. Th- it doesn't seem like a thing that you can fake fitness. And he looked pretty fit on Sunday. Therefore, I think we have to assume he's fit. A shout out to Sam Allardyce, who hasn't really organised a defence that well at West Brom, but cannot be fault for his logic because after the game, he he said he was asked about you know what West Brom had to do to stay up, and he said, well, the thing is, we need to win some games, and it's hard to do that if you keep on losing, which is. Is watertight. I've checked and it's watertight. Uh, West Brom are very much in the bottom three alongside Fulham and Sheffield United who once again look spirited in their clash Sunday evening with Chelsea but were defeated 2-1 and uh, yeah, in, in a world of trouble down there. Maybe it's the obvious analysis but just a lovely goal from Mason Mount. I thought the timing mm-hmm. of his run, the fact he was in that goal-scoring position, a really crisp finish. I mean, a lot of people seem to think that with Lampard leaving, that was, you know, he might be out of the team, especially because they got so much competition for that number 10 role he played. But he, he's had a brilliant couple of weeks under Tuchel and I think really has, people just won't speak about him like that anymore, will they? People now must realise he's just a brilliant player, uh, regardless of the manager. Remember the reaction to the first game? Oh, he left Mount out. Oh, what's Mount going to do now? And obviously he's featured every time since. He's been very, very good in the system. All in all, things going pretty well then for Chelsea, with the exception of that one moment from uh, Antonio Rudiger. And uh, shaping up to be quite a clash that they'll have in 10 days' time with Atletico Madrid as the Champions League returns. Uh, very good. More from the Premier League and a throw forward to the FA Cup and more coming up on this Totally Football Show. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Hey, listener, if it's Monday the 8th of February for you, congratulations, because it's exactly 21 years since perhaps the greatest football headline of all time was written. Super Cali Go Ballistic, Celtic are atrocious. And they are again. Yeah, they are again. Well, I'm not laughing about that. Uh, but <laughs> are they uh, atrocious? You can find out by listening to the Zodi Scottish Football Show, which is out on Tuesday. 
that headline anyway, all the way back in whenever 21 years ago was, uh, was uh, followed uh, the hoops getting beaten 3-1 at home by the then part-time Inverness uh, Caledonian Thistle in a Scottish Cup tie. Magnificent stuff. Uh, oh, by the way, there's actually a piece going up on The Athletic later on this week, hypothesising about how Celtic and Rangers would do if they were in the Premier League. Michael, did you contribute to that? I know you're a big fan of hypothesising. <laughs> no, I, I look forward to reading it, though. Right. I wonder what they say. What, what would your guess be? Well, my guess would be that in the short term, they would probably struggle because I'm not sure they have the calibre of players, but long term, they've got the the supporter base and, and the attendances when things get back to normal to think they would be challenging near the top of the league. I mean... To give a caveat to the first bit of that, Rangers do look a really good team this year. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they know more than me, so I, I will genuinely read the piece. Excellent. Okay. Uh, also out this week is the Offside Rule WSL edition after a big weekend in, in WSL, Michael. Yeah, I mean, biggest day of the season so far. It was an incredible day, really. I mean, WSL, really, the pattern is that the big four don't really lose to anyone else. Um, and that was completely broken today. With Chelsea suffered their first loss in two years. They'd just won 33 games unbeaten, which was a WSL record. They lost to Brighton, who hadn't won since November. Had recently lost 7-1 to Man City and 3-0 to bottom of the league, Bristol City. Um, funny game, all three goals from corners, including the winner, which was direct from a corner. An Olympic goal, I believe they, they call it in South America. Then Manchester United lost 2-0 to Reading. Again, both goals from set uh, set pieces. That was a big shock. And that meant that the uh, Man City against Arsenal, which seemed like you know the only show in town, ended up being even bigger than we would have thought because it meant the winner was suddenly back in the title race they seemed to not be in. Um, and the loser really had no chance of getting back in it. And Manchester City won 2-1, deservedly 2-1. Uh, Chloe Kelly was the best player. Got two assists, and it's a really big week coming up as well because it's Chelsea Arsenal Wednesday night, and then the Manchester Derby on Friday night. So yeah, biggest week of the of the season it seems. Huge. Well, there'll be an even deeper dive into WSL on Offside Rule WSL edition. Back to the Premier League. A Saturday afternoon, quite the encounter at St James's Park between. Newcastle and Southampton. Southampton, of course, have been beaten 9-0, as you probably saw midweek by Man United, and their plans for a morale-boosting comeback didn't really last long. They went 3-1 down in the first half, with Newcastle once again playing very much on the, the front foot. Uh, Jan Bednarek, who was, who'd been relieved of his red card suspension from Wednesday, again, though, scoring an own goal, although it was actually attributed to... Uh, the uh, the Newcastle player. And then, a little bit like at Old Trafford, there was a tremendously dramatic second-half comeback from Saints. Yeah, shout-out to Amin Amino uh, on loan from Liverpool. This was his first start. Played kind of inside-left. They were playing quite positively. Um, uh, I mean, great goal. Um, also, he got um, Hendrik sent off. Uh, Hendrik put a heavy one in on him early doors, you know, welcome, and then pulled him back in midfield. I mean, quite a brainless sending off in my opinion, but I thought hmm. he sort of lost his way slightly in the second half because I think the entire Southampton team just got a little bit confused when um, they were being actually faced with nine men in the end. And I think this is what Hasenhutl was talking about after the game. Look, they showed us how to play against nine men. We didn't do it right. Um, and I think actually defending with nine men came quite naturally to Newcastle because that's how they naturally play. So two banks of four, closed down all the spaces. I think they were actually quite comfortable doing it and pretty comfortably saw the game out. All right. Daniel, you enjoyed the Minamino goal. 
Yes, it was, uh, I think I described it as a, a mirror image of Batty goal against Arsenal in that he just kind of runs to the edge of the box and then lashes it into the top of the net. It hits the top of the net before it hits the back of the net. Uh, yeah, it was a lovely, lovely goal. Um, yeah, I, I mean, fair play to Newcastle because they kind of won that game twice. They they did play that front foot attacking football and then they went back to what, what they've grown to know of, over the last 18 months and it, it served them really, really well because it was a completely brainless move from Hendrick to get himself sent off. But yeah, they 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 really they were really gutsy. And, he, and shout out to players like Miguel Almiron, who was so gutsy. Mm. You know, we don't necessarily expect that from him, but he everyone kind of clubbed in, which suggests that although some fans are or many fans are not particularly happy, I don't think the players have, have given up at all. They they were really, really gutsy and determined in that last 10 minutes. And they did get a little bit lucky, but Carl Darlow might well be in the next England squad. I think he probably deserves it because he's been phenomenal this season. He made another couple of great saves. Yeah, indeed. It's nice to see Almiron coming good, actually, because it's been a tough time for him. Mm. Uh, South American arriving there and Tyneside and echoes of, of that magnificent film Goal and uh, <laughs> you know struggling to live up to the kind of career arc that that I can't remember what the, the character's name was. But anyway, uh, also at this time last week we were talking about Graham Jones's impact on on Newcastle. Another new arrival making a pretty immediate impression here with Joe, Joe Willock as well. This the one thing they didn't have in the squad is a they they have central midfielders who central midfield in that they try and pay passes from their position, which is Shelby, or they do what Isaac Hayden does, which is just try and break up play. And Jeff Hendrick kind of does a bit of both. What they don't have is a midfielder that looks to push on and get into the box. And that's exactly how Willock scored the first goal with that kind of late run into the box that I guess Southampton maybe just weren't expecting because Newcastle haven't done that of late because they just haven't had the player. Hmm. Also, Bednary got completely done on that first one. And just looking at Bednary's performance, has he become a bit of a liability? Because just so many errors um, in in the last few games. Um, I mean, and even, you know, I think it was a 50-50, obviously, when he charged down Cher, but there was... But it was a little bit, I thought, heavy, a little bit desperate the way he kind of went in to block that shot. Um, so is, is that actually a problem for Southampton now? Yeah, they, they've they've been missing so, and they can't afford to miss many. And Walker-Peters is still out. Verstegaard played his first game since Christmas. Romeo played his, I think, third game since December the 19th or something. So they've just missed a lot of players, which maybe has kind of increased the pressure on him and maybe he's kind of struggled to cope with that a little bit. Mm-hmm. They've now lost five consecutive top flight games for the first time since September 1998. Duncan Alexander also noting that they've conceded more goals in the Premier League in the last 12 days than Chelsea did in the whole of the 2004-05 season. So there's that. They're off at Molyneux midweek playing Wolves. They also face Wolves next weekend in the league. Oh, God. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What? I mean... Southampton are badly at form and, and Wolves are really difficult watch at the moment. So good luck to anyone who manages both of those games. That's uh... Okay, Wolves who had a a challenging nil-nil with Leicester. Alex Cooney watched it. He says, is Pedro Neto the best outside the top six player and the player people thought Adama Traore was going to be? Neto was, was pretty watchable in this game, no? Yeah, he, he was. he was probably the best Wolves player what I will say is I didn't realise he was still only 20 uh, mm. he's a really kind of mature he's winger. swarthy yeah he is and he, mm. but he's quite mature you know he's not someone like uh, Everett Chiesa there's a kind of uh, sprinkling of youth that's very obvious in how they play kind of 
you know, insouciance. Exactly that. Whereas Neto is a really accomplished winger and he, he did Johnny Evans a couple of times. And actually, I mean, I know Ricardo Pereira has not played much football recently, but he, he really penned back Ricardo Pereira, which is exactly what Wolves needed because I think if Pereira had managed to get forward and overlap, Leicester would have probably won the game. Mm. All right. They didn't though. It was nil-nil and we'll see what happens with them and the Saints midweek and then again at the weekend. <laughs> Villa... Just the one goal for them. Ollie Watkins again, Arsenal's defence again in Saturday's uh, match day opening fixture with the Gunners at Villa Park. Yeah, a funny game. I mean, Villa went ahead so early and, and were relatively con- uh, content to sit on that lead. Uh, Arsenal, I thought, you know, I- I've said this very basic analysis a couple of times before, but they've kind of got three players that are threatening. One is Saka, one is Tierney, and the other, and the third is Aubameyang. And without two of them until Aubameyang came on in the, the centre-forward role, where I really don't think he's very effective, actually. I, I much prefer him coming from the left. I just Really? Yeah, I think in a possession side, when he has to play with his back to goal and link play, he's, he's quite ineffective, actually. I know mm. a lot of people don't like him from the left, but I do think Arteta's been right to generally go with him from that side. Um, yeah. Who, who does play the centre-forward role for Arsenal, do you think? Well, I think Lacazette offers more in, in the build-up plays. He's, he's frustrating Lacazette because there's some games where he really looks like he's he's able to make it work. And there's other games where, where he's uh, just very peripheral. And, and this was one of them, really. I didn't necessarily think that um, Arteta got his changes right, actually. I thought I thought he probably could have left Lacazette on here. I also didn't really this, uh, see the need for Willian when it could have been Ceballos coming on when, when Thomas Partey went off. Um yeah, Arsenal kind of, uh, they're not playing dreadfully at any point, but they've they're been quite frustrating. And when you think they've taken a, a step forward, they then put in a display like this. But uh, All right, well, yeah. Villa, Villa several steps forward. Uh, Traore pouncing on the mistake by uh, Cedric here uh, to then set up Ollie Watkins, who's now got four goals in his uh, last five top flight appearances. That move, of course, sparked by a lovely ball upfield from the former Arsenal keeper Emiliano Martinez. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm not quite going to go hot take enough to say that Ollie Watkins is is a more important player to Villa than Jack Grealish, but he's hell of an important player at, at Villa. I, I didn't quite. I mean, he does so much work off the ball, and I didn't quite realise this. But he, since the start of last season, he's played. He's missed basically. He's missed ten minutes out of a possible six thousand three hundred in league football. Good lord! Which, given the, his energy and his kind of constant running, he's. he's Villa's second highest chance creator this season, which is pretty impressive for a lone striker who's kind of expected to, you know, some lone strikers would stay central maybe, particularly in their first season in the Premier League and just kind of wait for service. But he does so much running off the ball. He, I think he's been brilliant this season. The, the kind of 10-second analysis that a colour commentator will, will give in the course of a Villa game is that the difference between their pretty abject last season, staying up by the skin of their teeth on the, the final day and this magnificent campaign they're on at the moment is the arrival of a Watkins figure, the fact that it gives them a, a centre forward. Uh, is that fair or do, do, it, it, are there other bigger things beyond that? Well, I think I think what he does really well in, in the games I've watched is he runs that left channel really well, which obviously either drags out a centre-back or looks or means a full-back has to kind of keep one eye on him. And that's exactly where Grealish then pops up probably in a little bit more space than he might normally have. So yeah, I, I fully agree. I mean, um, I'm trying to I, I'm, I, I'm, yeah, I'm trying to wrap my brains who started up front for the most often last season and I can't even think. So yes, that probably makes your point. Villa doing the double over Arsenal for the first time in 28 years. 
since, in fact, the inaugural season of the Premier League. Uh, who was their manager back then and where did they finish in the league in that campaign? Third. You think you can third? answer questions third? like that? No, it wasn't third. Big second. Ron and... Big Ron and second. Yeah. Second, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. If you find questions like that intriguing, you should probably take part in one of the 31 football quizzes uh, across February and March that The Athletic is running in partnership with Prostate Cancer UK. They're all themed, themed per club. So, I mean, for more of that kind of thing, check out the Villa one. Anyway, you can get all the details at theathletic.com slash PCUK. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of The Athletic Podcast Network. We haven't mentioned Burnley 1-1 Brighton. Who wants to bang on this? Good result for Burnley. I came away thinking it's probably the best 90 minutes I've seen from Burnley for a long time. Um, okay. And then realised I probably haven't seen Burnley for 90 minutes that much this season. Um, uh, but it was quite fun because, I mean, Brighton, I thought, really deservedly beat Tottenham, were very good and very well organised against Liverpool. But they're really hanging on here, particularly in the second half. And it just shows, I think, the, the value and the entertainment of having someone like Burnley in the league who do play a completely different way and ask questions of a Brighton side who, you know, against Liverpool actually look very strong and very big physically but when they came up against uh, Burnley they look a little bit overwhelmed and it was quite funny watching um, Sanchez who I think has been a really good um, addition to the Brighton side is obviously taking over from Matt Ryan and goal but you know he was having to do tasks he was very unaccustomed to just high balls and physical challenges and strikers leaving their boot in it was a, a very classic kind of English football game in February, I think. But, but I genuinely think Burnley played well and were unfortunate not to win. Um, I think if you're relying on Vidra for your goals, you're, you're going to struggle in that respect. Indeed. Brighton emerge unbeaten in five now. They'll both be in action in the Cup, the fifth round midweek. All right then, 16 teams left in the competition. Guarantee of quality is that 12 of them are from the Premier League. We've got five all Premier League clashes, which are always the favourite. Uh, Man United taking on West Ham. Everton Spurs, Leicester Brighton, Wolves Saints, Barnsley Chelsea, Sheffield United, Bristol City, Burnley Bournemouth and Swansea Man City. If you choose just one to watch, which is probably not an unreasonable approach, which which one would you go for? I'd go for Swansea Manchester City. Um, uh-huh. You're right to point out that the um, all Premier League ties are not the the appetising ones. But no, Swansea are playing really good football at the moment under Steve Cooper, who I'm, I must point out is Welsh, not English. Reiterate that. Um, yeah, he was, he's got a really nice backstory in that he was with England under 16s and I think England under 17s, uh, but kind of came through that system of this kind of new type of, of, of British coach or... English coach in terms of the English coaching system anyway. And he's doing a fantastic job because Swansea are punching way above their weight. They kind of outclassed Norwich on Friday night who were are still top of the league and um, are favourites to go up. Uh, and I just really hope that them and Brentford go up this season, I have to say, because Norwich got 21 points last season and only scored 26 goals, I think. And for them to go back up as champions, would it would just feel like there was a bit of a chasm between the Premier League and Championship. So, yeah, mm. good on him. Do you think they can give City a game of it? Two seasons ago, they yeah. they met in the cup, and, and it was it was three two to City, but they were two 0 down at half time, and uh, it was Aguero with an eighty eighth minute winner. So something like that would be pretty pretty good entertainment. Yeah, they're not they're not quite playing that the similar style, but they I tell you what they have got they've got Conor Hurahan in midfield from Villa, who is one of those players that probably just isn't quite good enough 
for the Premier League, but looks absolutely mustard in the Championship, quite frankly. He looks brilliant. All right. Lovely stuff, Daniel. That's bought uh, Michael and Sasha enough time to pick out a fixture <laughs> themselves. <laughs> Sasha? Yeah, um, I found the previous round of the FA Cup quite disappointing. Not a single upset in 16 games. Um, so I'm, right. I'm not really expecting any upsets in this one. So therefore... I will go for the boring all Premier League uh, tie Everton Spurs um, mm. because I think, you know, again, good opportunity for Ancelotti to have a nice FA Cup run. And I think in Mourinho's situation, he has to go and try to get something in the FA Cup as well. So I expect that would be quite quite a um, quite a humdinger of a tie, I think, on uh, on Wednesday night. Yeah. Michael, you wrote a piece this week about the evolution of Carlo Ancelotti's tactics. Uh, that's on The Athletic, of course. Yeah, it should be up there on Wednesday, on Wednesday. So you've done very well to uh, to know about that, James. No, I, I mean I'm across. You know, I'm very much in the loop. <laughs> just to just tease us with some nugget, or you know, the what's the hook? What's what's the pitch? Um, well, I guess the interest. I mean, you remember James? He started off obviously as uh, you know assistant to Saki, and was right. very much Saki in terms of four four two. Yeah, and, and dispensing mm. with you know, Zola and didn't want Baggio and didn't want these number yeah, 10 figures. Crazy. And then he became the manager who was, you know, the go-to manager if you were a side like Chelsea or Real Madrid and he wanted to indulge all these wonderfully talented so, players. Yeah, because, I mean, there, there rarely has there been such a kind of a voltifaccio, if you like, of, of a, you know, a tactical disposition from that strict orthodoxy of the 4-4-2 to that ridiculous Milan side where you had... Was it four number 10s in there where you had yeah. Pirlo, Rivaldo, Ricosta and Kaká all in the same side? Yeah, well, usually stayed off for Rivaldo because Rivaldo didn't get much of a look in, did he? But yeah, all it was, right. I mean, Stop. rotating band of, yeah, I mean, incredible. I mean, and also that was a time when not many sides in Europe and not just in Italy played real possession football. So he really mm. placed his faith in, yeah, especially Pirlo, I think, is, it was obviously the the main one really. To, to play him in that deep role, I think, was one of the... One of the most influential decisions any manager's made in. Although, Europe. although they say that wasn't him, that was Carlo Mazzoni. They say it was Massoni, I know, but uh, doing it for Brescia and doing it for Milan is yeah, that's a little true. different. But it's funny. I mean, I guess this is the point of your piece. If you were to say to, I mean, I wouldn't know anyway. But I think if you ask a lot of people what is Ancelotti's shape or tactics now, <laughs> I think they'd be they'd struggle a bit. Yeah, well, it's been interesting watching him at Everton actually, because obviously last year he played a pretty strict like really early days Ancelotti 4-4-2 because he didn't have anyone who merited the number 10 role. And obviously now James has come in and the system he played against Manchester United was just completely based around James. I didn't think particularly effectively. But yeah, he's, he's an interesting coach. I, I think someone who yeah just puts the players first, doesn't he? He now completely believes in in indulging star individuals over the, the real importance of the system. So mm. yeah, he's, he's a manager I've always enjoyed watching his teams over the years. Okay, well, an interesting touchline deal with uh, Jose Mourinho. Of course, uh, a battle of former Real Madrid managers uh, there on on Wednesday. That that'll be fun. Uh, also, that evening is the Man United West Ham game. Would that be your pick, Michael? Um, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Sasha. Everton Spurs probably leaps out. Um, I also quite like Barnsley Chelsea just because it reminds me of when they met in two thousand eight. Uh, and Barnsley won 1-0. And it was like one of the great kind of FA Cup shock days because it was the same day that uh, Manchester United got put out by by Portsmouth. Um, and it felt like Manchester United and Chelsea just got to the final of everything at that point. And just to have those two upsets in on the same Saturday, I think it was, I just remember really enjoying that day. And it set up this really weird semi-final 
quartet of West Brom, Portsmouth, Barnsley and Cardiff, which was just absolutely wow. mad. I should say that Chelsea and Barnsley have already met this year in the EFL Cup um, and Chelsea won 6-0. So it probably won't be an upset this time. Man United West Ham, by the way, if this in any way influences his decision, won't be featuring uh, Jesse Lingard because uh, United are his parent club. You can buy a J-Ling's face mask. Did you know that? £12 at jlings.com. Jlings <laughs> wow. with a Z. Any delivery charges? or? Yeah. I don't know, is she? <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I, I mean, it's not going to be a big package of J-Ling's face mask. Uh, I don't know if the tongue will be... Maybe there's a hole for you to put your tongue out while you can go <laughs> celebration. Slightly. T- it would have to... Surely a fake <laughs> tongue would be better. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, we should say that the the masks are to raise money for NHS charities. Uh, oh, brilliant! So all the money goes there. Oh, nice one. Hey, how about yeah, Man United or you know, on loan Man United forward players raising money for uh, vital services? Yeah, there you go. Nice one, Jay Links. Uh, anyway, very shortly we'll be testing Sasha's knowledge about the European leagues and more things like that. But first of all, let's get some odds from Lee Price from Paddy Power. Hey, Jimbo, it's Lee. Lee Price, the annoying guy from Paddy Power. Hey, long time no speak. Anyway, listen, I know you're busy hanging out with strong men or one of your projects outside of the podcast, but I just want to drop you a note on my segment tonight. Basically, I can't be bothered. So can you just reference the fact that Paddy Power paid out a Man City win the league before the weekend Point out that Leeds was on to beat Palace, obviously, and that United was on to beat West Ham, less obviously. And then maybe just fill the rest of the slot with that Martin Tyler sound effect. His poor wife. Thanks, mate. Please answer my calls one day soon. Miss you. Love you. Bye. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. What else can you listen to this week, uh, listener? Well, uh, also out today, I think, is the Totally Football League show. Then there's the Totally Scottish Football show. That's on Tuesday. Offside Rule, WSL edition, later in the week. European show, Totally Football show, European show. Uh, that's out on Tuesday as well with Julian Laurence and Raphael Honigstein, Alvaro Romeo and James Horncastle. Ha. Uh, James will be going big on City Air, where... It is Milan still. It is Zlatan still. Juve bubbling under there. Liga, Barca had a bit of a scare at Betis. We'll hear about that from Alvaro. Remarkable thing about the Bundesliga weekend, as you probably saw, Sasha, was that there were no draws. No draws. Hmm. They went commando. I thought the, I thought the, the scary thing uh, about that league was that uh, uh, Borussia Dortmund, the Borussia Mönchengladbach both lost as well. And then in terrible yeah. runs of form. Gladbach are going to be facing... Man City in the Champions League in about 10 days' time. Uh, RB Leipzig, of course, who did win this weekend, are up against Liverpool. And you may have seen the news, uh, I think confirmed this weekend, that the away game for Liverpool of that, which can't be held in Germany because Germany's got a block on all visitors from the UK at the moment, is now going to be held in Budapest. Alessio Di Maria saying, is it fair that Leipzig have to play their Champions League home game in Budapest, but then Liverpool get proper home advantage at Anfield in the second leg where to be fair Alessio they're losing every single game they play at the moment <laughs> should it just be a, a one-legged match in the best interests of fairness it's unusual that they went for Budapest day eh? and then but Liverpool still play at home 
in inverted commas. I, th- I think it's unfair in the way that, you know, Germany have stricter, stricter rules on this. Uh, so why do mm. Leipzig have to suffer? I, I actually agree with this. Um, maybe both games should have been played at neutral venues, but then again, that's extra travel. Uh, I saw that, um, I think one, one option they considered was Spurs Stadium, um, mm. which, um, which would have worked, uh, would have worked obviously for Liverpool, but with Leipzig traveling in and out of UK, again, yeah. given their rules, I think it probably was undesirable for them. And, you know, Budapest is just closer. Yes. Okay. Well, Champions League getting back underway in about 10 days' time with all of that. PSG will be taking on Barcelona. PSG, did you see uh, they were involved in the uh, Classic Sunday night? A 2 0 win. Did you see Icardi's header on this? Yes. Very loopy. Yeah, but it was. It was it was Chicharito esque in in that he he kind of he nodded it backwards with the back of his head. Uh, remarkable technique. Anyway, uh, all very exciting. Three points behind PSG are AS Monaco, and what did they do? Yes. They beat uh, bottom of the table Nîmes four three, and yeah. uh, Alexander Golovin, uh, the Russian uh, midfielder there for them, scored a hat trick, uh, which doesn't happen very often for uh, <laughs> Russian players in top uh, in major European leagues. So. Big news when back was home. the last time, Sasha? Uh, Pogrebniak for Fulham uh, almost <laughs> nine years ago. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you oh, laugh, wow. you laugh, but it's not very good at football, are we? Now, Monaco doing brilliantly under um, Nico Kovac. Kovac yeah. yeah. Uh, and and uh, very much making a, a go of it in that uh, remarkably open for a Liga title race there. We'll be talking about all of that on Tuesday. I mean, all this talk of Leipzig having to shift their base, it's really not that long until the Euros. Are meant to be coming around. A lot can change between now and then, but uh, there was a, a a lot of kerfuffle about ten days ago when UEFA appeared to confirm that it's still going to be held in twelve, or the plan is still to hold it in in twelve different European venues. But I, I noted that afterwards they did kind of row back a little bit and said, "That's our plan," but obviously we've got a we've got another option if if things don't work out, and we, you know we're hoping that vaccines and, and other things change the situation between now and then it is an evolving an evolving uh, state of affairs anyway there you go anything else you want to add sasha or michael or daniel before we let uh, a listener go a couple of shout outs uh first, yes. first shout out mesut ozil got his oh. dream move to fenerbahce uh they hosted galatasaray at the top of the table clash uh in turkey on saturday night and they lost one nil so Galatasaray are now top. So uh, unhappy Özil. Uh, however, who was happy was Fernando Muslera, who is back from a double leg break. Um, and wow. He, I think it was back end of last season. It was after lockdown. Um, and he was back and he's, they've now won all five games for Galatasaray that he played. Only conceded two goals and he was quite an emotion. There was quite an emotional tribute to his mother who passed away a few months ago uh, after the match. Um, so how, how did he... So when you say double leg break, yeah. it was the same leg broken in two places? Yeah, t- tip fib. Legs? No, tip fib. So it's um, okay, right. uh, like both bones in the leg. It was, he, he right. was really, really unfortunate. And yeah, it's just... Uh, it's, 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 it's a bad one, but I think if they could pin it, he's back in seven months. It kind of makes sense. Uh, but fair, fair play to him. He did well. Uh, another shout out to Andre Pierre Gignac. Mm. He is now in the final of the club um, of the FIFA Club World Cup because he scored a penalty today against Palmeiras. Uh, so I think um, they're going to be for, Tigres for, for Tigres. He is still with Tigres. Yeah, Tigres okay. sixth season there, and you know he's of I think Liga MX I- I- exactly, and that's, he seems to be having a good time there, mid thirties <laughs> in the final. You know he's a bit of a legend. I think he's. Basically, his career in Mexico, he's outscored his previous career in France now. And mm. uh, he seems to be having a lovely time. 
Um, Wouldn't it be nice if kind of football journalism had a similar kind of career arc where you, you you put in your years earning the big money, say following Premier League sides, but then can go and enjoy a kind of golden semi-retirement in say Mexico or or perhaps you know Buenos Aires. Kind of depends how you define big money, I suppose. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I suppose being sports exists for that. You know, I <laughs> 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 couldn't possibly maybe a little it. bit. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, okay, well, uh, thanks for that, Sasha, and then thanks for your participation today, and Michael and Daniel as well. Uh, we'll wrap it up here. We're back, as I say, with the Tuesday European show, and then on Thursday with a look at all the uh, FA Cup action. For now, many thanks for being with us, listener, and we'll catch up with you soon. Cheerio. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics Football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.